Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, Robert, want to hear a science joke? Hit me with it. Nitrous oxide walks up to gold, says, Hey, you, want to go see carbon? N-O, gold says. Oh, that was a... I love that. I just love it. That was a good one. Took it to the elements with that joke. Yeah. We're going to have to do a, a podcast on the periodic table, I think, one of these days. Yeah, I think we had a request for it. Um, and that comes to that joke comes to us at compliments of Facebook Zach. And you can send us all your bad jokes. We love them, clearly, um, on Facebook. We're stuff from the Science Lab. Or you can always tweet us your bad jokes, too. We're lab stuff over on Twitter. But to get away from the periodic table, today we're talking about SETI. Again, and in particular, one, uh, one, one event in SETI that you guys may be familiar with. Yeah, we're talking about the wow signal here, right? Yeah. So I was inspired to do this podcast because there's a pretty cool event that happened in August called SETICon. Yep. And this was uh, a August- convention, right? Yes. Okay. The, the, like the Dragon Con, Con and Comic Con, yeah. which you were just tweeting about the other day. Yeah. So it was organized by the folks at the SETI Institute, and that's one of the really the the big ones, the big Kahunas when mm-hmm. it comes to SETI. You know, you have people like Frank Drake there, he of the Drake Equation, Jill Tarter. She was, of course, the model for Jodie Foster's character in Contact. Mm-hmm. Um, Seth Shostak is, is one of their big people there, one of their big researchers. And so they, um, they had some pretty cool events, but there was an interesting debate that arose out of SETICon, and we've covered this before. Yeah, I'll, I'll, most of this, uh, comes out of, uh, some stuff that Stephen Hawking said, uh, in the recent, and I think he'd been saying, uh, already, but, he, but then he said it on a Discovery, uh, documentary series uh, about the universe. Right, uh, Stephen the, Hawking's universe. Yes, yeah. and uh, so suddenly, I think it was like a like I say, I think it was one of those news weeks where there wasn't much to report yet. We hadn't had an oil spill um, that was <laughs> like a week off, so they're like, "Whoa, Stephen Hawking uh, is saying that aliens want to destroy us. Let's uh, let's you know, uh, sex up the headlines and uh, and and have a field day with this." So, and you guys might remember we did a podcast that covered yeah. some of this ground, and right, like Robert's saying, it was just Hawking was theorizing. Well, yeah, if there's intelligent life out there. Maybe these life forms might be inclined to harm us and take theirs. Yeah, resources. his whole thing was like, we we are the model that we by which we can try and understand what alien life would consist of, and if they're anything like us, they're probably kind of jerks. So maybe we shouldn't meet them. <laughs> that, I mean, that was essentially it. I mean, it was. He, he put, That's kind of bleak. He, he makes it a lot more elegantly than I do, but uh, indeed, but that he was does. it. But you know, I mean, not indeed he does. You, you, you did it. You did him justice. You did Hawking justice. Yeah. Um, so the debate that is coming from this convention and that we've had all along is: Do we actively try to communicate with extraterrestrial intelligence? What's the benefit? Yeah, like, are they? What are they going to come and do? They're going to come and share their technology with us and and you know be super beneficial, or uh, or are they going to conquer us? Uh, I guess the ideal, I mean, a lot of it is just based in curiosity. You know, yeah. the the universe is vast. It, it you know spans essentially forever, as far as our minds can understand it um, or grasp it. You know, and uh, so what's out there? You know, well, curiosity, of course, being the predecessor of innovation and mm-hmm. exploration and all those good Asians that we like to do and that advance our civilization too. Yeah. So. If they have the technology to receive our message, you know, if we're actively broadcasting one of those foolish things, like, did you hear about the instance where that social networking site Bebo was sending hundreds of user-generated text messages and 
um, you know, pictures and all this stuff. Yeah, that was the, they covered that in the, this American Life episode yeah. contact. Yeah, and there's just all sorts of idiotic things being sent out there. They were basically like. And also the, some heartfelt things. It wasn't all yeah. idiotic, but a lot of kind of silly things yeah. that were being beamed to a planet, uh, 20 light years away, an exoplanet. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it's because like, I like to think maybe it's kind of like a conspiracy theory thing. You know, it's kind of like the the NASA whoever found out that there's that there's some danger over there. There's some sort of like horrible uh, intergalactic civilization. They're like, whoa, we've got to convince them that we're really dumb because otherwise they're going to come and harvest our brains. So let's let's hook them up to our social networking. You know. Oh, and, they're trying to fake them out. Interesting. Yeah. That's that's my my theory because earlier you know the the earlier method like with the Voyager uh, missions and all was to you know. A, send naked pictures of ourselves, but also, you know, be like, look at us. We understand math and, and, you know, that we have this grasp of science and trying to convey that we're, we're nice, upstanding members of the neighborhood and that we should be invited over to, uh, dinner sometime, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So whatever your stance is on sending messages, we really have been, uh, sending messages indirectly pretty much ever since TVs and radios have been around, right? Yeah. It's kind of like we've, uh, in um in contrast to like sending out a polite uh, message to the neighbors it's like we've had our windows open with the tv blaring uh literally with the, the tv yeah blaring. for 40 years yeah. and now the neighbor is finally coming over and yeah. bringing a pan of brownies and you know some music yeah there's a actually there's a great futurama episode where the aliens come to invade uh because they're um They've been like this takes place, you know, like far in the future. So they're just now watching an Ally McBeal esque show, and they're addicted <laughs> I can't to believe it. you just mentioned Ally McBeal. Yeah. Uh, I forget what it was called like single female lawyer or something. The uh, TV show. Yeah. So suddenly their signal, their their uh, the signal is, is interrupted, and they're like, "What happened to the rest on the rest of the you know series?" And so they come to invade Earth because they want to find out how the series ended. So let's do a quick reminder. I know you guys know this, but of how we conduct SETI on Earth, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. It's pretty simple. Basically, we just listen and we watch. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting in that there is a lot of argument out there over whether we're listening and watching for the right stuff. Um, our method so far has really been to concentrate on collecting the radio waves emanating from space. Yeah, we often use radio signals as a, as a benchmark uh, for... Um, a civilization's uh, technological achievement. Right. So there are some people like cosmologist Paul Davies who are saying, hey, maybe we should be checking out some pulsars. Maybe there's some civilizations out there saying, listen, that pulsar, we're making it flash like a beacon. How come the civilization isn't getting it? It's so obvious. Yeah, that would be like a um, type two civilization oh, right. or, at least, or a type three. So we look and we listen, and we're basically uh, listening by eavesdropping on any radio communications coming from beyond Earth. Yeah, we're trying to hear their TV shows, their lawyer shows from from, uh, some distant point in their past. So the basic instrument going on here is a radio telescope in the search for SETI. It collects radio waves from space, and because the cosmic radio waves are weak, the telescope uh, collecting dishes are are really large. And you guys know this if you've seen... Uh, Arecibo in Puerto Rico or pictures of the now defunct Big Ear in Ohio. And it's yeah. actually Big Ear that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, these things tend to look more like landscape than something we've built. You know, it's like just huge, huge telescopes. Yeah, yeah. And they can survey these enormous chunks of the sky, one at a t- like these large chunks of the sky, one at a time, those chunks for signals. You can take mm-hmm. this sort of wide field approach. And it, it lets the telescope cover the entire sky at a low resolution in a short period of time. Yeah. 
So you're packing all this information in. But you know what? You're not getting particularly quality information. So you do pick up a signal. Well, you're not going to know precisely where it was without a high-resolution search. And then you know what? What if it doesn't repeat? Right. Then you can't, because that's like we were talking earlier, um, repetition is, uh, I mean, is key in science. You Indeed. Know? I heard, heard something interesting. I want to hear it again so that I can start <laughs> analyzing it. Um, and you can also do a targeted search, right? Yeah. And this is uh, fo- focusing on a limited number, uh, like 1,000 to 2,000 of the sun-like stars uh, out there for uh, extraterrestrial signals. Uh, targeted search allows for a more detailed investigation of a small area that we think might be probable uh, location. So in, in other words, it, it's, it's like it sounds a targeted search yeah. instead of a wide search. It's in, like, you know, there's, it's like when the police decide to search an individual house instead of canvassing the neighborhood. Yeah. Cause they, they already have some suspects in mind. Yeah. Yeah. They have some Intel that they're going on. So, and the idea here is we have, we might have Intel to go on because we're saying, Oh, well, this particular, uh, section has, uh, the potential, more of a potential to have a planet in it that life could uh, have evolved on than this like empty area of blackness. Another thing to bring to the table is that our knowledge of exoplanets out there is growing every day. Right. I mean, we know of hundreds. Yeah. So yeah, the intelligence is improving. So we're getting a better idea of where we should be uh, aiming these targeted searches. And in fact, that's what Kepler's been out there doing too. Hardworking Kepler. So today we're pretty much interested in one particular uh, radio telescope by the name of Big Ear. Big Ear is pretty famous as far as radio telescopes go. (laughs) That sounds kind of funny. Yeah, like I was trying to imagine like a, like one of those teenage magazines that you see in the uh, in the grocery store, uh-huh. and it'd be like the cover is like something about like a heartthrob, and then like top ten radio telescopes, and like <laughs> teenagers are going crazy for them. Right. So Vigier was uh, in Ohio. It was Ohio State University radio telescope, and to paraphrase one of our old freelance writers, Susan Nasser, who who wrote about Vigier, Vigier looked kind of like a shiny parking lot. It had a wall that was sitting on either end, and there was one all that one wall that faced the sky to collect these radio waves. Mm-hmm. And the waves then traveled over the ground, which was covered with a sheet of aluminum to preserve the signals, block interference, good stuff like that. And then they traveled to the other wall, which was curved, and it sent the waves to a receiver. And eventually, all that handy information wound up being printed out at a computer. Yeah, they're kind of big eyesores, but they kind of have to be to do their job. <laughs> Well, so it's kind of sad. Bigger is no longer there. Bigger, uh, it went online in 1963. In 1973, it began searching for radio signals. But since Bigger has uh, been in service, it has now gone defunct. And I believe it has been replaced by a development, a residential development in Ohio, which I think is really sad. Uh, it would have been more ironic if it had been replaced by a parking lot. <laughs> you know. So yeah, 1973, Bigger begins its work. It's, it's very serious, steady work. And one night, a couple years later, we get something pretty interesting going on. Yeah, this was back in August 1977, uh, more than 30 years ago. It's a hot summer night. Yeah, they had Big Ear uh, aimed uh, uh, basically just to, to scan the Milky Way for some sort of a, a signal. And uh, it got one, um, a really strong, strong signal, yeah. Um, and it was long, too. Yeah, what, one minute, 12 seconds? Yeah. For the for the one minute and twelve seconds, the waves were in the telescope search beam. The signal was strong. It, it ranged from five to thirty times the background radio noise that uh, radio telescopes regularly pick up. So that's an interesting thing to note, right? There's a lot of space is a noisy place, mm-hmm. um, and there's a little bit of a window that you can listen for. And so this was stronger than the background noise out there. So that was pretty interesting. 
So yeah, the signal was amazing. And uh, so, of course, we kept searching for it. Like I say, repetition. We wanted to hear it again. We didn't hear it again. We have never heard it again. Yeah, that's often the case with yeah. these signals and, and the wow signal, as this would soon be called. Because days later, professor at uh, Ohio State, a guy by the name of Jerry Eamon, or Emin, he saw the printout from Big Ear's computer. There's no one around to tell, to mm-hmm. talk to poor Jerry. And he circled the sequence from the night Big Ear picked up this unusual signal. And he wrote, what Wow, he? exclamation point. Yeah. Yeah. And so Professor uh, was teaching astronomy and electrical engineering at OSU. He'd worked on Big Ear's project. In fact, he was so devoted to Big Ear mm-hmm. and the telescope's work that after uh, funding was slashed and he was let go, he came back as a volunteer. Wow. Because he, he's kind of like that dude who like, you know, it's like you see a ghost or something for, you know, and then you're like, you, you spend the rest of your life sort of like trying to figure out what the world that was. It's like, yeah. Well, I think he has in this case. I really think he has because the wow signal is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, why was it so huge? Why was it so remarkable? And why couldn't it have just been some object in space? I mean, because we know that there are a lot of natural objects like stars and black holes, and these emit radio waves. But on WOW's line of sight in the sky, there were no astronomical sources of radio waves at all. So WOW did hail from a spot near Sagittarius A, which is a pretty big source of radio waves at the center of our galaxy. But WOW's line of sight that night in the sky, it didn't match up. It traced to a different line of sight than this region. And so, really, the conclusion that we drew was, of all the sources known at the time, wow did not seem to come from a natural object in space. Which would mean, it's uh, it's like Sherlock Holmes said, right? Once you've ruled out all the natural, then you have to worry about the unnatural. Yeah, so, us. Yeah. Well, yeah, us. We're or, or aliens. But, yeah, first us. Could it have been us? Um, okay, well, so, yeah, interesting. The radio signal was narrow band, meaning it ranged over a few frequencies, unlike most of the natural radio sources in space, whose emissions tend to range over a huge number of frequencies. And, yeah, like you were just saying, could it have come from us? Well, yeah, we send a lot of stuff into space. So there is the argument that uh, that uh, it could have come from an, some sort of, uh, you know, Earth-produced instrument, uh, a circling satellite on a probe, uh, you know, on a program course through uh, the space, could have sent the radio waves. Uh, has it sent it back to Earth? Um, well, no. The Big Air group was good. They did their homework. They did their due diligence. Mm-hmm. They checked their list for instruments in space at the time. Yeah, because it would have been disappointing if they were like, oh, that was just something bouncing off of a satellite. You right. Know? And it would that would have made kind of sense, you know? Well, they didn't find any. They, did, they checked their list for all these instruments. They didn't find any that were in WOW's line of sight. They made a couple calls, see, see if they missed something. Nothing turned up. Besides that, we usually send instruments to investigate moons and planets in our solar system, and the signal came from a plane apart from that plane, which I realize is kind of tricky, but it wasn't, it wasn't yeah, coming from uh, Again, it's, it's not, if it's bouncing off of something, it's not bouncing off of anything that we sent up. So Then again, you also have the fact that man-made transmissions weren't allowed at the 21-centimeter radio wavelength that Big Ear was listening to. Right. So not only is there something weird out there making radio waves, but it's breaking the law. It's breaking the law. And then, like Robert was saying just a little bit ago, there's this later idea that was floated that maybe, in fact, the wow signal was a radio wave sent from Earth that ran some space debris, got reflected back. But again, they ruled it out. They thought that the pattern didn't quite seem to match up for that scenario. Which leaves, of course, extraterrestrials. Yeah. When you rule out all the other scenarios, like you're saying... Yeah, then you just go with the uh, the unnatural. The uh, and, and it's and so yeah, we haven't had any kind of repetition on this, so it's it continues to be a mystery, and people continue to throw out the theories, 
And who knows, it may be, it may be one of those things that we'll never really have a firm answer to. And the wow signal is by far not the only signal that we've never been able to explain. Um, the vaunted, uh, SETI researcher Paul Horowitz, who works out of Harvard, mm-hmm. has picked up, legend goes, 37 signals that yeah. he was never able to explain. Uh, much in the way that we dismissed all of these factors as causing the wow signal, I, he, he's done the same in a, in an old paper. Right. So the signals are out there. Uh, and what's it now? And then there's also gloop, right? Oh, gloop. Yeah. Strickland. That, Strickland yeah. wanted us to mention this one. And this isn't so much an extraterrestrial signal, but this was a, a funky signal that was, uh, picked up underwater. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, Strickland and other people like to make the claim that it was, um, the, uh, HP Lovecraft creation, the, um, uh, you know, the, the god Cthulhu. Yes, Cthulhu. Uh, yeah. And, uh, on which we have an article, by the way. Have you read that article? Nah, I don't have to. I'm all up on that stuff. Okay. So. That Cthulhu article is really aimed at people who really aren't as into Lovecraft as, as I am. Like, Perhaps I, I should read the How yeah, Cthulhu yeah. Works article. Well, m- my theory is that if the glute signal is Cthulhu, it's because Cthulhu is really ticked off at how overblown uh, he's become in uh, in popular culture and is particularly irritated about the plush dolls you can buy. Right. So the the gloop signal was uh, picked up by one of the um, buoys out there, placed, I think, by a naval body. Mm-hmm. And it uh, was picked up by the sonar equipment, and it was said to be so uh, deep and um, that it could not have been produced by any animal that we know of. Okay, fine. It wasn't animal produced. Well, maybe it was produced by uh, something, some rumblings within the inner earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot in the inner earth that we, we don't completely understand. So that's completely feasible. Yeah. So that's gloop for you, Strickland. Yeah. Or ancient, you know, squid god living on the bottom of the ocean. Very scientific of you. But here's Robert. another Lovecraftian connection. Maybe the wow signal is actually, uh, Azazoth. Yeah. So what do you guys think these signals are? We're always putting the call out to write in, tell us your thoughts. We'd like to hear what you think about wow. Yeah. And, uh, while you're at it, yeah, check out our, uh, check us out on Facebook where we're stuff in the science lab or on Twitter where we're lab stuff. Um, we'll up- update you with all the stuff we're writing about and uh, and podcasting about. Hey, so we'd love to hear what you guys think of the wow signal and uh, other SETI phenomena out there. So send us an email at sciencestuff at com. Yeah, and uh, be sure to check out uh, our Facebook and Twitter accounts as well. On Twitter, we're Lab Stuff. On uh, Facebook, we're Stuff in the Science Lab. And there's always HowStuffWorks.com, where Cthulhu awaits you. So that's all we got for today. Thanks for listening, guys. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. <laughs>